Well, over these next two weeks, we're just going to be sharing around uh, a word in our purpose statement. Our purpose is to go and grow and to love and serve our world. And I want to just talk over the next two weeks just around the whole thought of growing. Whilst I was reading this this week, there'll be some stats that will just come up on the screen if you can just prepare those guys. But I was reading some stats as I was just reflecting on this message. I just want to identify a few of them on the screen. The first thing is this, the UK adult spends 24 hours a week watching television. And in the East Midlands, we actually do the best 21 hours, 21 hours. So we're better than everybody else. Secondly, a person on average reads only one book per year. I know numbers of people who read many books in a week. So you're obviously taking their books as well as, you know, you understand what I mean. There's a lot of people clearly who are not reading. Thirdly, the average person spends up to one hour per day on Facebook. My goodness, may God help us. And I'm unashamed in saying that. If you're spending an hour a day on Facebook, you need some help. Okay. It says that on average, we exercise only 50 minutes per week. The same, we should actually exercise 25 to 30 minutes a day. And then it's saying here, young adults, on average, spend five hours a day on their smartphones. You can see some other statistics there around there. You know, and it got me thinking as I was reading these stats, and, and these stats have all come from, you know, reliable sources, you know, media outlets uh, that, you can, that you can just Google in and you can just get, gather the information online. But it seems to me like potentially we're wasting a lot of time in pursuits that will not help us to increase and grow. I want to just identify, if we can have on the screen again, just six clear reasons why we stop growing. There was a study recently done at the University of Oregon, which is in the States, but it will be clear that these would be the same across the United Kingdom. And they identified six reasons why people stop growing. First of all, one, I don't feel like doing it. Don't feel like growing. There's a lack of motivation or a lack of energy. Number two, but I don't know how. People are saying, I've stopped growing because I don't know how. There's a skill deficit. We're asking people to step into something they don't know what to do. Number three, but what if I can't do it? This is the fear of failure or perfectionism. You know, perfectionism is a killer. We can't have any room for, for perfectionism in the life of the church or in the kingdom of God. We believe in excellence, but we can't be running down the word, thing of perfectionism. Because how do you know when it's perfect? You know, if you have a t- bias towards perfectionism, you'll live a, lis- a miserable life unless you get hold of it. Can I, am I speaking to anybody? You know, and this can stop us from moving into all that God has for us. Number four, how can I top this? People stop growing because they say, I'll stay where I am because how can I possibly top where I am at this particular moment? Number five, this stuff is just plain boring. We're asking people to step into stuff and they say, this doesn't inspire me. And number six, you can't make me. And this comes out of a rebellion and a, and a resistance. And this was a university study that took place that identified why people stop growing. You know, I have some thoughts around this as well, which are connected with what I've just talked about here. Because I think 
You know, when I look at my life, I've stopped growing or when I've talked to people, they stop growing because they have a bias. We all have a bias towards comfort. We all have our cozy pajamas and our cozy dressing gowns and we all like our comfort blankets and we all like to snuggle in front of the TV, picking out, vegging out, watching TV and what it's all built round comfort. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things because Julie identified it last week of something that she likes to do with her family and that's what they did. But I'm telling you, if we're doing that day in, day out, week in, week out, and that's what our life consists of, that tells me that we live in a life of just sheer comfort and it stops us from growing. People get settled. They run to safety. We get frightened that we're going to lose what we have. And Western civilization has domesticized the people. And if I can say this, and the people have domesticized the church. I want to tell you, God never created this church, his church, to be a place of safety. Never. It was always to be a place of adventure. That's why God birthed the church. We, we, we get a little bit soppy and a little bit sentimental, if I'm honest. And let me tell you, if you are looking for today just some, something to anchor yourself to, if you're looking that you feel like your life's in turmoil, this is a great place for you to be. But I, I want to tell you, God wants to put you back together, not so then you can just live a life of comfort and safety. God wants to put you back together so you can live a life of adventure. Can I hear a big amen? That is why God has saved us. That is why God has built the church. And it's a message that is often not declared. You know, God is wanting us to move forward. He's wanting us to increase. He's wanting us to grow. So, these things that we've identified on the screen, what I've just talked about a moment ago, actually stop us from growing. They stop us growing in our relationships, in our learning, in our jobs, in our businesses, and in the church. I want to tell you, if you had a child today, and that child was identified by the doctors and the hospitals as being healthy, and they start, you know, stop growing, we would know that there was a problem. The doctors would identify that this some health issues here because that child is not growing. You see, my point that I'm making here is children just, you put them in the right environment, you give them the right food, they sleep the amount of time that they should do. I know what it's like in our house, particularly the girls will like it, but more Isaac with him being a lad. I mean, we, he just eats us out of house and home. Anybody here ever had any lads like that? Just eats us out of house and home. It's just unbelievable the amount that he just consumes. So you, yeah, he's growing. So you give him the right environment. You give your kids the right environment. They will grow. This is my point. All healthy things grow. And the same in the natural is the same in the spiritual. That if we are healthy, if we have healthy lives, we will automatically grow. And we here at Arena Church have an absolute passion. The leaders of Arena Church, why am I taking two weeks to, t- to just talk around our purpose because I think it's so important because there's a lot of places they don't talk about growing, they talk about maintaining. They talk about maintaining where you are and just holding it back. We don't want to live with a status quo mentality. I'm not talking about the band. 
And I'm just proposing. He was them, wasn't it? What's that stadium? Okay, there we are. I love the air guitars. Okay, there we go. You want to see me when this radio comes on on the music? I'm like, Eleanor loves it. Come on, guys. Anybody else with me? You just... I'm not talking about that status quo. You thought I'd missed my point. I'm talking about moving into all that God has for us. Listen to me, my friend. God wants you to grow. You might be 70, 80, 90. You might be a new Christian. You might be a young person. You might be a teenager. You might be a single mom or a single dad. There's no excuses. God wants us to grow. He wants us to grow in Him. He wants us to grow in our understanding. He wants us to grow in our relationship. He wants us to grow in our lives. And He wants this church to grow too. And that is why over these next two weeks, we're going to be teaching into this thought. Our heart is to help nurture and create and develop a culture of growth. So let me ask you a question. Are you growing? Are you progressing? Are you developing? Are you learning? Good questions to ask ourselves. Just stop for a moment, just for a few seconds. Are you growing? Are you progressing? Are you learning? Are you developing? Or do you have an idea that you know it all? Because if you have an idea that you know it all, you don't. Nobody knows it all. Most people just stay where they are. And our heart in arena, as I've said before, I'm going to keep saying it through this message, is that we want to stir something in you to grow. You know that phrase, you can only take a a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. It's true here. I'm not about to beat you with a stick and push you forward and all I can do is just gently encourage you into growth and for us to believe together that as we grow as you grow we grow as you grow individually collectively we will grow we want to take you through that is why growth track is so important If you are new to Arena Church, if you are new to faith, if you're trying to make sense of faith, I'd encourage you to sign into Growth Track that Julie mentioned about. It's a four-weeker. You get lots of food. That's why we like to do it. You'll get food. You'll get well-fed and well-watered. And then just for 40 minutes, you'll just listen to some stuff that will just make you think. And the whole thought of Growth Track is all about growth. It's all about next steps. So to want to help people to know God. And then the next step is they find freedom. Then the next step is they discover their purpose. How many here would love to discover your purpose? Yeah, there's a lot of people who have no idea what they're meant to be doing in this world. And then fourthly, once you've discovered your purpose, then you can actually actively go and make a difference. And so just in these last few minutes that we've got together, I was just as an introduction, I want to just take the life of Jesus So I wonder if you're just turning your Bibles to Luke in chapter 2. Luke in chapter 2, and you know, to be honest with you, we know 
quite a bit about the birth of Jesus. And we obviously look at that over Christmas time. And we, we, we know who arrived and, you know, the lead up to it. And, you know, the, the gifts that, they, that Jesus had, the angels and the shepherds and so forth. And we know quite a bit about Jesus' life when he became a man. Because it's, it's recorded in the Gospels. That is the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you want to know more about Jesus, I just encourage you to take one of the Bibles if you've not got one. And just read the New Testament. And just read the first four books of the New Testament. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just because they were the people who wrote them. And they were accounts about Jesus' life. And we see how Jesus did miracles and he was, he, some of his teachings that were important to him. We see his death, we see his resurrection, which we'll be talking into and celebrating over this Easter period. But there's not much of the in-between. But there's one account in Luke in chapter 2 and verse 52. In a moment, I'm going to read the verses. But before I read them, why I'm saying all this is because basically it's telling us a story. And the story is this. Jesus is, is, is with his mum and dad. Now, I need you to understand this really important, really carefully. Jesus laid down. He, was, he is God. This, this is deep theology here, and I'm going to try and get it as simple as we can. I want to say Jesus is God. He's part of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Son is Jesus. And Jesus laid down or willingly gave away the Godhead. So he willingly laid down the fact that he was God so he could come to earth because there needed to be a sacrifice. There needed to be a sacrifice that was perfect, without blemish. Because what was happening is sin had entered the world. And because sin had entered the world, there was now a separation from God to man. And there needed to be a perfect, once and for all, sacrifice. And that was Jesus So Jesus willingly came as a baby, came into poverty and obscurity and grew up and lived a perfect, sinless life. And this Jesus came, as I say, as a man. And what he did, he laid down all of his Godhead. Now I say all that because oftentimes we can have in our minds that when we talk about Jesus, well of course he was this superman that he ripped off his shirt and there was a big S underneath, or should I say JC underneath, it was just there in his flesh. He wasn't, he was fully human. Have you got it? That's why I say he was fully human. I'll come on to it in a moment. He had to be developed both physically and spiritually, naturally. There was a development, like I've just mentioned your kids He had to develop like that as well. And we see this, pick the story up in Luke 2, because what's happening is, he's with his mum and dad, and they've been in in Jerusalem. There's been a festival that's been happening, and he goes with the family. There were brothers and sisters as well around that time. And Jesus gets lost. Uh, There's a whole message in that. Basically what happens is, his mum and dad think they're with him. They're now travelling back to their hometown of Nazareth, And a day into the journey, they realize, flipping heck, we've lost Jesus. I mean, there's there's some fun in all that. How can you lose Jesus? But anyway, you know, they lost Jesus. 
They were wondering, have anybody parents ever been like this? We've never, but you've just, where, where's he gone? Where's young Johnny? Where's he gone? They were like this, where's Jesus? Oh, he must, we must have left him back there. And then I've never read this before, only because I was reading the story. We see that actually, because I thought it was a day, it all happened in a day, it wasn't. They were looking for him for three days. They were looking for him for three days. And when they found him, they found him in the temple. And they would have found him just sit amongst the chief rabbis and scribes. And he was debating. He was talking. It uses this language. They were amazed at his questions. They were amazed at his listening. They were amazed at his learning. Bearing in mind what I just said a moment ago. He wasn't superhuman with superhuman powers. This was a development that was happening in Jesus. And he was growing. And they were pretty annoyed with him. And Jesus said, listen, I needed to be in my father's house. And Mary, the mother, she was like stunned by this. But she pondered it in her heart, the Bible says. She pondered these things in her heart. Then he goes on to say in Luke chapter 2, I'm coming up to verse 52, it says that Jesus, I think it says this because it could sound like he wasn't being very obedient, but it says that Jesus continued to live with obedience to his parents. Any teenagers here? <laughs> yeah, you're not going up to it. You know what's coming. It's important that we live with obedience to our parents. And he lived with obedience. And then this is what it says. It records in Luke chapter 2 verse 52 about Jesus. And it says this. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with man. I wonder if we could read that together on the screen after three. With a loud voice. One, two, three. And Jesus grew in wisdom, stature and in favor with God and man. So we see here there that Jesus grew. Jesus grew. Actually, the, the root word, which I want to take you to for a moment, is a word called prokopoto. You don't have to remember that. You probably will now. Because the New Testament was written in Greek. And the root word of this of this word grow, some version use, uses increase, is this Greek word prokopoto. And it means this. This is what I want you to get because you've got to get behind the word to really understand, to understand what it means when it says Jesus grew. It says this. This prokopoto means to lengthen out by hammering as a blacksmith forges metal. Have you got it? It also means to beat forward. My point that I want to make is this. It all sounds wonderful, Jesus grew. But what it actually means is this. Growth came at a price. Growth came at a price. Increase came at a price. Because it was like a hammering that took place in the blacksmith's foundry shop. It was to beat something forward. And what I've realized is this, that people love the thought of growth and they look on and they say, I would love to grow. I'd love to grow. And like Johnny and like Mary over there, I want to grow. I want to be like that. But this is the point. People look on and they want what you have, but, but will only pay the price, but sorry, but will not pay the price 
that you have paid. I'll say that again. People look on and they may want what you have, but they will not pay the price what you have paid. You see, many people think that magically people grow. Magically. I want to say this. Growth, increase, comes only through adversity, through challenge, through resistance, through difficulties and opposition. Am I talking to anybody today? So if you're in a period, a season of adversity, of challenge, of difficulty, of resistance, then I want to say this is a growing environment. This is a place where God has intentionally put you to beat you forward, to cause you to grow and to become all that he wants you to be. But as we look at this, what did Jesus grow in? There's three things very quickly. First of all, Jesus grew in what? Thank you, Julie. So I'll say it again. Jesus, first of all, grew in what? What's the first one? Wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom. In wisdom. Now, let me just say to you, I'm not talking about cleverness. I'm not talking about academia. I'm not talking about knowledge. Some of you are incredibly clever people out there. But I'm not talking about that. There is a difference. You see, the difference between knowledge and wisdom is this. Knowledge is about facts. It's ideas that have been acquired through study, through research, through investigation. Interestingly, over these last few weeks, I've been going through a study with our staff about the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Because we need to build a life of wisdom. But wisdom is the ability to discern and judge which aspects of knowledge are true and applicable to your life. So in other words, wisdom is about clear thinking. It's about insight. It's about discernment. It's about great judgment. Quite honestly, you can be knowledgeable without being wise. I've come across some very knowledgeable people well, I'm just going to say it bluntly because you're used to me now. And if you're not, just excuse me for a moment. It was stupid. Yeah. They have a lot of knowledge, but they have no wisdom. But I've never come across a wise person who doesn't have knowledge. I haven't. And God is wanting us not just to acquire knowledge, but he's wanting us, and the Bible is full of this, where he's wanting us to be full of his wisdom. He's wanting us to pursue wisdom like nothing else. And why do we need wisdom? What do we need wisdom for? And Jesus grew in this wisdom. Jesus grew in this discernment, this clear thinking. Even as a 12-year-old, he was saying about him, he he was growing in it. Well, we need wisdom in this day and age for three things. First of all, we need wisdom because of time. Again, Julie preached about this last week, about managing our time, our our calendars, our diaries. But boy, oh boy, do we need wisdom in this day and age with our time. Every one of us has been given the same allotted time. Every one of us. 24 hours. Last time I looked. It just so happens that some people do more with that 24 hours than others. And I wonder why that is. Well, when I've really looked down and driven it down, it's because they are wiser with their time. Can I hear a big amen? And we need wisdom with our time. 
You know, we waste so much time. We waste so much time with useless pursuits that have no, no help to us in terms of growing and increase. I'm not saying you can't have a hobby. I'm not saying you can't have some fun. I'm, I'm in for all that. But I think sometimes we can waste so much of our time. We need to be stewarding our time wisely. Secondly, we need to have wisdom with our money. Whether we've been entrusted with much or with little. As a Christian person, I want to say, you will give an account for what you have done with your money. You will. You will. Before God. We all will. I love what John Wesley says, and I could open this up, but I won't. Again, this week, just been doing a little bit of reading around John Wesley for a variety of reasons. This is what Wesley said. He was the founder of the Methodist movement. He says this, don't you know that God entrusted you with that money to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to help the stranger, the widow, the fatherless, and indeed, as far as it will go, to relieve the wants of all mankind? How can you, how dare you, defraud the Lord by applying it to any other purpose? John Wesley, when he died, because of his charitable work, he died with little materials. In fact, it says this, when John Wesley was carried to his grave, he left behind him a good library of books, a well-worn clergyman's gown, and the Methodist church. It's reported that John Wesley had between two and three million pounds of income come through his hands, and he died penniless. One year he earned well over a hundred thousand pounds and he only spent two thousand pounds to live. What did he do with the other ninety-eight? He gave it away. Now I'm not suggesting for one minute that that's what we should do, but what my point that I'm trying to make is we need to be wise with our money. Because we will have to give an account for what we have done with it. And thirdly, we need to be wise with the opportunities, the open doors, the talents that you have been given. Listen, if I can say to you today, if you have a talent and you are not using that talent, if you've been given something, you've been blessed, you've been graced with something, then you've got to use it. And that is why we say to people, we want you to discover your purpose. Because then we want you to go and make a difference. Because when you have discovered your purpose and you go and make a difference, you become fully alive. If you feel like you're fully dead, that's why, because you're not doing anything. You're just pleasing yourself. You're coming in, you're going out. And there's a season of that, I understand that. But if listen, if that's where you're living your life, that's where you're living, you will never come into a full sense of just godly satisfaction and, and just love of life. And, because God has given us opportunities, he's given us talents, he's given us gifts. And we need to be wise in how we steward them. Secondly, he says that Jesus grew. Are you still with me this morning? Jesus grew in wisdom. He also grew in stature. All I want to say in this, so I've already said it before, Jesus was not a superman. He developed as he grew. And he passed through a natural but perfect spiritual and physical development. The point that the writer is wanting us to understand is he was developing physically as well. And it's the point that I'm making. I've already jumped ahead of my notes. He was fully human. The humanity of Jesus. So Jesus grew in wisdom, but he also grew in stature. But the third thing, and where we're going to finish up in these last few moments, is that he also grew in favour. 
But it wasn't just with favour with his father, it was favour with, favor with man as well. And I honestly believe with all my heart that God is wanting to move us into a place where not only do we develop and we grow wisdom and stature. Many of you have stopped growing now or you're growing in all, as Julie reminded us, you're growing in all the wrong places. But we do want to grow in favour with God and with man. This favour, it means to have preferential treatment. Anybody here ever, ever been shown any favour by anybody? There's been numbers of occasions where I've been shown great favour by different people. In fact, I'll make this statement and then I'll pick it up. I believe that I'm living under favour. And we've, we've had it and we've experienced it and it's made us feel good. That is what we're talking about. Jesus grew in favour. And this denotes an acceptance, an approval, and a pleasure. But as you delve deeper into the word again of this word favour, you'll realise that there's a root word which gets missed slightly. And that is this word charis, which means to have a gift. And it talks about Jesus being favoured, receiving a gift. This is where we get the, the phrase, grace and favour house. You know how the monarchy gives to the politicians, grace and favour's house. So checkers is a grace and favour house for the Prime Minister. Whether you feel he's deserving or not, the fact is it, it is, it is given to him and it's grace and favour. And when he talks about Jesus, Jesus increasing, growing with favour, this is what we are talking about. You see, we must understand something. That our, at our conversion, we have received God's grace and favour. And many of us don't walk in this. When you, when you gave your life to Jesus, when you knew you was a filthy sinner, and we all are, when we knew that we needed Jesus in our lives, something happened. Not just forgiveness, but also favour. Favour happened. And many of us walk into forgiveness, but we don't walk into the favour. And this is what happens as we receive Jesus as our Lord and as our Saviour. You see, to understand, to grow in favour, first of all, we must pursue God. We must come before God and we come into a new and living way, the Bible records. There's a new and living way that we enter into. But secondly, we receive in God's presence. In God's presence, we are renewed and conformed into his image. And this is what happened with Jesus. He was growing in favour both with God and with man. Now, of course, he didn't ask, need to ask his father to forgive him of his sins because he was perfectly perfect and sinless. But that's what happens as we come before God and we come into his presence. We receive forgiveness and we also receive favour. And this favour is so, so important. Four things that I want to understand about this favour. And I want to just practically try and root it with you this morning. You see, this influence, this favour comes as we understand we already have favour. We already have favour. You don't have to need to ask for God's favour. You don't have to earn God's favour. You just need to receive the favour of God. And this is the thought. It takes favour to get more favour. 
It takes favour to get more favour. And if I can say, and I don't want this to be misunderstood, I'm living under favour. And that's why I receive more favour. Because I understand the favour of God that's resting over my life. Not arrogance. Because that can be taken from me in a moment. But I understand that I'm operating under the favour of God. I've been created in the image of God. I'm his child. I know him as my Lord and Saviour. When I'm in his presence, I'm renewed, I'm conformed, I'm, I'm transformed into his image day by day. And I'm living under the favour of God. Secondly, our dreams from God cannot be accomplished alone. You'll notice that it talks about how Jesus won favour with God and with man. I want to say here, if you can do it alone, the dream is not from God. We have to dream so big that without the favour of God and man, we could never accomplish what is in our hearts. Again, let me make a statement. This church is operating under a favour that's from God, but also from man. How do I know that is? Why would we get a £100,000 grant from the council? Now, I know God owns it all, but we got some favour. Did we not get some favour? By the way, just to let you know, we've got another £45,000 for the Mansfield building. We just put a little application form in. We put a little application form in, and, and Nottingham County Council have shown great favour to us. And we're going to keep believing for it. That's not all about money. There's open, and open doors. There's people contacting us, this church. There's all kinds of things that are happening around the life of this church. This is not just favour and influence with God. This is also with man. Because actually we need others to help us to accomplish our dream. I'm not just reliant on God, I'm reliant on you guys to accomplish a dream that's been placed in Arena's hearts. Do you get that? Thirdly, with this favour, there's influence, we've got a dream, we've got to do it together. But thirdly, this is so important. Jesus had favour with God and man and he understood that he needed to steward this favour for the benefits of others. You know the favour that we're presently living in? We need to always, always make sure that it's for the benefits of others. I did put on there, without ego and arrogance. So for anybody walking out of there thinking, this guy on the stage is a bit up himself, I hope you don't think that because that's not the truth. I'm just shouting aloud the favour of God that's on our life and favour we've got with men. We, none of us deserve it. But God gives it. But we have to understand that we need to steward that favour for the benefit of others. What I mean by that is very simply, if God has blessed your life, if God is increasing your life, don't just keep it to yourself. And again, I come across so many people, and I want to say that they do that, and they'll cut off the supply of favour that I see God. God. I've seen it so many times where they're operating under a favour of God, it's favour with God and man, and then they begin to keep it to themselves. They become self-absorbed. They become selfish. They don't want to share it. And what happens? The supply is cut off. As soon as we stop serving other people outside of this community, as soon as we stop being outward focused and go inward, I want to tell you, the favour, the supply will be cut short. Can I hear a big amen? Because God's heart is that we will touch the world. That is the heart of the church. And fourthly, quickly, not only do we need to steward it, 
But we also need to recognize favor's measure. This is where a lot of people get really, really upset. Because I want to say this. Not everyone has the same measure of favor. And I've had to realize this as a, as a, as a pastor and as a preacher. And I had to learn this very, very quickly. Because why is it that some people hit the big platforms and have the worldwide recognition and others don't? It's just measure of favor. And you've got to settle that in your heart. Even, even, even as just a Christian, you've got to settle it in your heart. Why is it that other people seem to be blessed more than you? No, you haven't got to keep looking at why are they blessed more than me. You've just got to look at your favor. God, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for the favor that I'm operating. Are you hearing me this morning? Thank you for the blessing. We're forever looking at what? No, no, no. Thank you for the measure of favor that is on my life. <laughs> I never want to live with, oh, why is God blessing that church? Why is God doing that? No, I don't want to live there. I have lived there many, many years ago. I don't want to live there. I want to live under the favor of what God, and I recognize there's a measure of favor that God measures out to each person. The parable of the talents is a brilliant story for many, many different reasons. And one of the reasons it identifies there's a measure, there's a giftedness that God gives to certain people. They weren't looking for it. They weren't asking for it, but God just gave it to them. Can I hear a big amen? All you are called to do is effectively steward what favor has been given to you, whether big or small. And Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in stature and he grew in favor with God and with men. Quickly, because I'm well over time. Jesus is wanting us to grow in these three areas in our lives. He's wanting us to grow in wisdom. I'd love to say so much more about wisdom. I'd encourage you, there's 31 books in Proverbs. I'd encourage you to just read a chapter each day. It's It's the wisdom book. Proverbs talks about pursue wisdom. Run after it. Like nothing else, it's far more precious to you. I read the book of Proverbs in a year far more than any other book in the Bible. Because I want to pursue wisdom. I want to be wise. Not in my eyes. I want to be wise in his eyes. I want to have discernment. Clear thinking. Can I hear a big amen? I want to, I want to discern the wisdom of God. So I'd encourage you to get in the book. I'd encourage you to walk with wise people. The Bible says, he who walks with the wise becomes wise. But a companion of fools suffers harms. So we need to walk with wise people. We need to grow in stature. You need to keep growing in stature. Don't have your head down. Have your head up. Grow in the stature of God. And grow in the favour of God. Knowing that whatever favour is on you, you don't have to pray for it. You're already living in it. But we need to effectively steward it for the benefit of others. And we also need to recognise that it's dealt with in measures. And the measure that you have may not be the measure that others have. Just celebrate the measures that are over different people's lives. The heartbeat of Arena Church is that we will grow, that we will increase, that we will be blessed. Thank you for whoever gave us these plants here today. They've served to be just a little timely reminder of how things, healthy things, grow. I wonder if we bow our heads.